What is up, guys? Welcome to The Real Build. I'm your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder. What I'm going to be doing with this show is actually showing you guys what exactly you need to look for prior to buying, building, selling, or even renting a home. I'm going to bring in some of the top people in the industry so we can dive deeper into discussion about these topics and really give you guys the tools you need to learn and know prior to making one of the biggest purchases of your lifetime. So with that being said, guys, welcome to The Real Build. So welcome to The Real Build. I'm your host, Bill Ryman, your broker builder. And today I have a guest coming from Denver, Colorado. He started purchasing investment properties in 2013 when he made the decision that a high paying award-winning sales management career in corporate America was not enough for him. He wanted more. He wanted to pursue a career where he could help people and create a legacy for his wife and three sons. He wanted to create a business that fueled his passion for competition that he had missed since retiring from professional basketball in 2002, which I want to hear more about that. He found he found this in real estate since 2013. He has started three successful real estate investment businesses that started in Portland, took him to Hawaii, and eventually settled in Denver. He was able to find success in different markets with his proven investment strategies and systems that he is now ready to share with people looking to create their own legacy through real estate investing. Adam McKenna, welcome to The Real Build. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I definitely want to hear about that professional basketball career a little bit too in your intro. But uh, now excited to have you on. I mean, you're doing my research on you. You're doing a lot of different things in the in the real estate investing world. So, you know, I've had past investors, flippers, stuff like that on just multifamily purchasers and everything. But with you, you're doing a little bit more, you know, you're you're kind of rejuvenating neighborhoods and and doing a lot of big things. So I'm excited to dive in with you today. So um, what I like to always get started with is your background. So I brushed on it a little bit, but let's talk about who is Adam McKenna. So yeah, background, I mean, <laughs> diversified past, but uh, like you said, got into real estate investing in 2013. Uh, Graduated college, went to a small school out here in Denver, University of Denver, played basketball, went and played overseas for five years, um, traveled around Europe, Asia, played in the minor leagues over here and uh, wasn't quite as good as I wish I was or <laughs> wasn't quite good enough to, uh, to make it into the NBA. So decided I needed to move on with my life and uh, got married and moved back to Denver and uh, Took on a sales job, worked for a building products manufacturer, so sold windows, sold roofing, siding, um, did some general contracting, um, really based around the exterior uh, construction and um, wasn't happy. So got an opportunity, moved out to Portland, Oregon with that company that I worked with, um, had success with them and just got to the point where I was miserable and needed something else to do. And uh, had always had an interest in real estate and in construction. So decided to buy my first investment property, um, 
decided to put a second story addition on the first investment property. Um, couldn't really find that perfect flip that I thought it was going to be. So decided to go big on it on the first one. It worked out well. Got another one going um, and then put in my notice on my job and haven't looked back since. So really, you know, got into it and got into flipping and kind of construction for myself just so that I didn't have end customers that I had to work, you know, worry about pleasing when I was mm -hmm. doing some general contracting work previous to that, you know, you do a kitchen remodel and homeowners living in that house and calls you and wants to know where, where your guys are at nine 15 when they were supposed to show up at nine o'clock. And, you know, I realized I wasn't suited for that type of business. So that's what, that's what interested me in flipping, and, you know, and that's led into new construction and wholesaling and, multiple markets and, you know, various different things we do. So, you know, outside of business, married, three kids. Um, when I'm not sitting in a basketball gym watching my older two sons play basketball, I'm you know, either usually working or in the mountains, golfing, snowboarding, hiking, doing something outdoors. So, Great. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's great. Great introduction there. Learn. I mean, you, you pro I'm guessing since you played basketball, you're probably pretty tall too. I'm guessing you're, uh, especially playing six ten. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, yeah. Yeah. So you're a tall guy and especially playing professionally too. So good for you on that. Um, I mean, I'm sure that was a lot of experience personally going overseas and everything and playing. Yeah. Uh, pros and cons. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Got to, got to see the world, you know, didn't get paid in a few places and really yeah. <laughs> didn't like living, you know, over in Europe for 10 months out of the year. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, going back to your first flip, though, you know, how how do you decide to go all in on it? I mean, a lot of people, they go into a kind of blind. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, you said you went all in. You spent a lot of money on it, added a whole second story. Uh, obviously, your past experiences in construction, I'm sure, helped with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that helped. I got, you know, honestly, it came down to I'm rather impatient. So, you know, I... I started educating myself, you know, about six months prior to buying our first property. Uh, my wife went out and got her real estate license to kind of help things out. And, you know, Portland at the time was pretty competitive and got really got sick of looking at property. So finally found one that, you know, we thought ticked most of the boxes. And, you know, once we bought it and looked at it, it's like, ah, talking to a few people, it's like, it might be better suited to, you know, pop the top on it. And we ended up putting a master suite up on the second level of the house where um, I figured we'd jump into it. But yeah, I, you know, prior to that, I did have some construction experience with, you know, a company that I worked for for a while. We did a lot of additions and different things like that. So I had the expertise, you know, yeah. kind of before jumping into it for myself. But so. Which you know, definitely, definitely think, helped as far as numbers and everything. Yeah. And I think a lot of people that get into this business, they look for that perfect deal out there as opposed to, you know, just taking action and going, oh, let me, I'm confident in my numbers. Let me go figure out how to get it done. So it's kind of something we've always we've done within our businesses. You know, we'll, we'll get most of the way there, but at some point you just got to jump in and do it and get the experience and make a little bit of money on it. Even better. Yeah. See, I like what you just said right there. I mean, that's probably the, 
some of the best advice I've heard from somebody in your business too, is just go for it. Cause a lot of people are hesitant. They're trying to do research. They're trying to, you know, who should I talk to? How do I get money? How do I do this? How do I fund it? You know, you can find those things out by just reaching out to somebody like yourself, but then when they get the money or they do have the funds or they have a loan ready, you know, then they start thinking, overthinking it. Uh, mm-hmm. like you just talked about and okay, well, I don't know my costs or is this going to be worth it? Am I going to make money? You know, all those questions start racing too. I mean, that's in any business that's in the construction. I mean, you do spec homes like we talked about before the show. And, you know, if you're hesitant on building a spec, how's the economy going to be? How's, you know, like, oh, we got a new president. Should I even be doing this, this and that? You're never going to do it, you oh, yeah. know? Exactly. So it's just going to keep holding you back. Yep. Yeah. Analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis. Yeah. You meet new investors or people wanting to get into it. And there's just a lot of people just getting their own way by not taking that leap of faith and going for it and putting in the work and taking the time to learn what's necessary. And if you buy the property at a good enough discount, you're, you know, at least you're going to make some money, you know, so. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your business a little bit. Um, obviously, you say you are able to assist homeowners with a wide variety of real estate situations and problems. So let's talk about what you're doing, different types of stuff you're doing within your business. So currently, I mean, you know, starting out and we we got heavily into the marketing side about a year and a half ago. Prior to that, we were buying all of our properties off the MLS and okay. uh, we weren't getting the volume that we needed or wanted. And uh, I had done some marketing previously, but, you know, got heavily into it, like I said, about 18 months ago. Um, And it's mainly, you know, we're marketing towards um, some sort of distress. So, you know, we're people that have inherited a house that's an unwanted home, you know, they're, they live out of state. They don't want to mess with trying to sell it. You know, people going into pre-foreclosure, you know, it's really like to say a lot of people, you know, it's going through some sort of a life event that they've got a property that's, you know, probably not in the best condition. Um, it's not a marketable property through a realtor on the MLS. You know, it could be a hoarder house, could be in disrepair. You know, they, they just don't want to clean it up and get it ready for the market. Could be embarrassed of it. Um, we're able to step in and uh, close on it quickly in as is condition, you know, obviously we don't make, ask people to make repairs. We don't ask people to clean houses out, you know, we'll basically take the keys and allow people to walk away from it. So we have the flexibility and, you know, that we, we don't use any traditional type of funding. Everything's bought with um, cash or private money. So mm-hmm. we've got the ability to close in as few as three days and really take something that is a, a stressful or, you know, kind of pain in the neck for somebody and alleviate that stress rather quickly. So um, that's really what we try to do is try to help people out of bad situations. And, you know, here recently, it's been a lot of landlords, smaller landlords and property owners that aren't collecting rent and have a headache that they need to go away. So, you know, we'll buy places with tenants in place, whether they've been paying, paying rent or not, and then take it upon ourselves to get them out of there. So. Uh, you got to do the dirty work then, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Again, it's trying to take somebody's problem away from them. You know, you know, we don't pay the most money for houses, but we we take over people's problems and can and solve them really pretty quickly. So, 
So with Denver's market, obviously you guys were booming for a while. I mean, me being in Florida, I've heard about it too. And and you, you still have the ability to find pre-foreclosures, distressed properties. Like, how are you doing that? Obviously you're through your marketing and stuff. So is it news, people are seeing newspapers? Like well, we do. Yeah, we do a combination. So we, uh, we do paper, pay-per-click ads. So Google PPC, okay. um, we do a series of text messaging. We do cold calling. We do letters. We do postcards. Um, really, we try to keep four to five different marketing strategies going at one time. Um, and it's it's more challenging in Denver right now with mm-hmm. as good as the market has been and continues to be. Yeah, strong. Um, you know, right now there's less than three thousand properties listed. You know, in a city of about three and a half million people. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> record low. So yeah, it's. It's more challenging to find those, but like you said, there's always some sort of life situation out there. You know, unfortunately, people continue to pass away. Um, landlords continue not to get paid rent. People get divorced. Mm-hmm. People lose their jobs. People need to relocate. Um, so, you know, even in a good market, that stuff doesn't stop happening. Just, the, you know, those unforeseen or unfortunate life events. Um you know, the, the people on the financial side, you know, if they, they quit paying there right now, there's no, no foreclosures, but in the market that has had so much appreciation over the last five years, even when people do get in financial trouble right now, if they've, if they've owned their house long enough, you know, they can walk away and get some cash in their pocket. So, you know, reaching out to a company like us that can help them out of that situation, they can take advantage of um, that equity that they have in it and, you know, save their credit before, you know, foreclosures Mm -hmm. happening once again. So um, it's just, it's going after a variety of lists and a variety of different people and making sure we have several strategies going at the same time so that something hopefully pans out. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. The strategy makes sense too, because there there are those people that just they need to unload it. They need to unload it fast too. And, yeah. uh, you know, companies like you, that's, that's where somebody needs to specialize in. And especially, I mean, instead of going through the process of hiring a real estate, a real estate agent and having to sit on it, market it, and then pay a real estate agent a commission too. And, you know, it saves a lot of time too. So that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, um, I'm sure dealing with what you're doing and, and buying an as is condition too. I mean, I'm sure you've seen some nasty stuff in some of these <laughs> things too. So you know. yeah, that's uh, like to tell me, we, we, most of the houses that we want or that we buy are things that most people don't want to live in. Yeah. <laughs> There's still some people living in them, but we've got one just down the street from our office. We started a couple of weeks ago that I think we pulled eight dumpster loads of, stuff out of there of trash and debris um the lady Port, we, hoarder situation it's yeah she was a hoarder she actually hadn't left her house in like 35 years oh wow um uh, and my business partner he does our acquisition so you know, he went out there and met with her and she said she was going to clean everything out and we went out there a couple days before we closed on it and she was working on it and you know we made the mistake of not going there the morning of closing and taking a look at it and she met with us and signed the paperwork and she got her check and away she was to Texas. And I go over to the house and really nothing, nothing had been done since we saw <laughs> a couple of days prior. So, um, you know, there's situations that sometimes we don't know what we're getting ourselves into or we're taking somebody's word. And then other times it's, Hey, 
leave anything you want behind. But like we pulled, we started demoing that house and my demo contractors were finding rats running around the place and all kinds of just oh, dead cats buried underneath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, that's the stuff that we're, we're looking for, honestly. So yeah yeah i mean that's yeah, yeah it's, a lot of work goes into them i'm sure i mean you, you said you you redevelop a large number of single family and multi-family properties throughout the state with the intention of revitalizing communities and encouraging mm-hmm. home ownership so let's get into this more i mean obviously buying what you're buying distressed and dealing with what you're dealing with what's the process of this um how are you doing this let's go into it a little deeper so we, uh, we're different than most people flipping houses or like I said, the spec bills that we do, we're actually, we're working in the, the inner city of Denver, if there is such a thing, um, where we prefer to work in neighborhoods where these houses were built in early 1900s. Um, first preference is to restore what was there and bring that house back to life. Mm-hmm. Um, if for whatever reason we can't, you know, structural issues or, you know, the house is just too small where it doesn't make any sense to, you know, renovate a two bedroom, one bath, 700 square foot home in a neighborhood where, you know, homes resell for call it up to 1.5 million. We'll scrape that existing house. We'll knock it down and then go through the process of permitting and, and build a new house. In okay. there. So, um, we really like working in the older neighborhoods. Um, yeah. Most of our projects, you know, even our, kind of our fix and flip stuff or $150,000 scope of works up to our, you know, our new construction, we're typically, you know, that six to 650 construction cost on the rebuild of them. Um, we don't do a whole lot of paint and carpet, quick little easy things that a lot of people work, look at. Um, to us, honestly, it's just no fun. And mm-hmm. I like, you know, there's a sense of pride when you take a house that was built in 1920 that is in, unlivable condition and go in, you know, and open the whole thing up, blow out walls, you know, replumb it, put new electric in it, new HVAC system, you know, and essentially make it a brand new house that, you know, will be livable for somebody for generations to come. And then, you know, in the event that we can't do that, you know, taking something that was, you know, nothing and building a 4,500, 5,000 square foot home um, that is, is pretty popular in our area right now. Mm-hmm. So for, the last few years everybody's wanted to move into the city so um that's where we're we're having good success with those infill lots and you know scraping and redeveloping so honestly it's again it's the old neighborhoods that we like to work in and just seeing the sense of pride that you know taking project through you know nothing that's mostly unlivable through you know basically creating a brand new house with it yeah yeah which is what that's the difference maker between you and that's why also i wanted to have you on the show i mean you being able to have the ability to completely gut and redo something and not just paint the walls and change the carpet and maybe throw in some cabinets you know like your typical quick uh fix and flip i mean you're going all in yeah 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 i mean we've done a little bit you know of the of the quick easy ones we did more of them this summer just with the market uncertainty but yeah you know, we like to do it's just it's no that's no fun you know yeah. it's like at some point we have to enjoy what we're doing it's not yeah. all yeah turn in as many properties as we can so you know i think it it gives us a little bit of an advantage as well there's not a whole lot of people 
in that niche in this area. So, yeah. And that's what sets you apart, which is pretty cool. I mean, you'd even doing the spec homes and then it's just, you're, you're generating so much different opportunity and then going in the older neighborhoods and doing newer homes or complete renovations. I mean, it's upping the value of the surrounding homes too. So, I mean, you're only going to help increase the, the surrounding home values and then they'll probably see what you're doing and maybe they'll want to renovate or build a new home too. So it's smart. It makes, it makes a lot of sense what you're doing, especially in a crazy market like Denver too. You know, everybody else is moving outside of the cities and, and Denver, everybody's moving in. So whole different yeah, world over there. It continues like, you know, to we're getting an influx of people from you know, California, New York, Illinois, a lot of different states where people are looking mm-hmm. to get out of right now and you know people i'm sure people are flocking to florida texas oh, yeah. like yeah. colorado right <laughs> now. so you know for us you know we're just trying to take make the most out of that situation and uh you know hopefully it continues so yeah do you see it continuing with the change and craziness we got going on in the united states right now what do you <laughs> see as far you know it seems like every time you turn on the news something something else is happening what do you see as far as investment opportunity you know, for us locally that's you know the thing was we we quit buying houses um for the most part in march mm-hmm. uh, i think we had 12 new construction projects going and i don't know half a dozen regular you know flips going on and then Things we were, we were fortunate that we were allowed to keep continue construction here, but they shut down the ability to for in home showings. So and oh, basically, okay. real estate agents couldn't work for six to eight weeks. No open houses, no in home showings. I think we had four properties on the market over million dollar listings. Um, we freaked out and dropped the price on those houses just to get out of them and yeah. to you know, move all of the inventory that we had as, as quickly as possible. And we didn't, we stopped buying properties and then we started buying kind of the quicker, easier flips out in the suburbs that just to, you know, generate some cash flow and see what was going to happen. Um, and then once we started feeling good about the market again here, just what the numbers were, basically the spring and summer mm-hmm. busy selling season moved into fall and winter. Yeah. And we, the last three months we've been trying to pick up as many properties as we can so looking at you know just the local economics that's supply and demand there's not enough housing mm-hmm. for the people that are moving into our state and you know really you know since the last downturn and here was 09 in 2010 builders don't build at the at the rate that they need to 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 take care of the, the demand that we have here. So that's what's caused, I mean, Denver is pretty unique that I mean, we've had other than, I think it's been three years in the last 25 that the market's depreciated every year. So it's, it's a function of, we live in a great state, people want to come here and as long as other, you know, our state's not perfect, but as long as there's craziness and you know, yeah. other states that are more than here, People continue to move to Colorado. It's a great place. It's it hasn't gotten super expensive yet for for what you know city of the size of Denver has to offer. So, you know, over the short term, we feel great about it. But mm-hmm. we're taking and we're taking the profits that we're making in this market, and then we're you know, we've we've jumped into the Kansas City market over the past okay. year, and we're buying rental properties out there, just where the the economics make more sense on rentals there than what they do in Colorado. So. Um, we're trying to, you know, again, 
don't have a crystal ball, but we're trying to figure out and, you know, make the most of the opportunity that we've been given, even, you know, if it's in the short term as well. So. Yeah. And that's what everybody's doing. I mean, Florida is the same way, what, exactly the way you're describing it is, I mean, there's not enough as far as new construction available. Uh, we're, we're building it. Uh, you know, we have, a, I have people constantly calling me to build and I have people constantly call, calling me about our build saying, are they for sale? Cause they don't want to build, you know, and there's just yeah. not a lot for sale out on the market right now. And if it is, it sells, especially if it's new. Uh, very low inventory. Um, you know, who would have thought COVID would have had the opposite effect, you know, and uh, we were, I was in the same shoes as you. We, I didn't know what was going to go on when this first hit. Uh, and we were all kind of like, all right, is this market going to really tank? Are we going to get nobody? I mean, I was saying that in my head, I was like, all right, nobody's going to come and buy houses. And all of a sudden, boom, you yeah. know, get through the summer and fall hits and it's just crazy. So yeah, talking to a couple custom builders out here, we don't do anything custom with, you know, an end buyer, um, something we may change and look at getting into, but there's mm-hmm. a couple of guys here that, you know, bigger, well-known guys that are three years out on builds right now. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's crazy. It's that crazy. There's demand and that there's consumers out there that are willing to wait three years to have a house built. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get people, I'm, I've been meeting with people. They're like, well, how far backed up are you? I mean, I always kind of tell them by the time we get permits and everything, we should be okay. But I'm kind of going through and picking and choosing who we want to work with right now, yeah. just because it's a lot of the stuff, just uh, it's not worth the time, right? Because we are so busy. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's a good situation to be in very, very blessed situation. Not as many people are as blessed as, but Florida has been open for you know, so long and very grateful to be in a state that's been open. So, you know, and that's why everybody's leaving where they were to come into an open state. So it's just, it's, it's been crazy. So, um, you know, as far as, uh, when you are buying existing homes, you know, what are you really looking for? Let's go into more detail. You brushed on it. So let's, what are you exactly looking for? For us, it's all numbers. I mean, okay. so we basically, you know, we're, we're always starting with the end or the resale price in mind. So, you know, what we call the after repair value. So yeah, what's a house worth once it's fixed up, we, you know, we comp that house within a, you know, a quarter mile radius. We're very, very tight and very conservative on the buy side. We go off of, you know, what the resale price has been in the last six months where, I know there's other guys that factor the appreciation into it, but we don't ever do that. So basically some, you know, real simple, we take um, the after repair value, excuse me, we subtract 10% for realtor closing costs when we sell the property, um, interest on our money, insurance, whatever it is, you know, 10% soft cost. Typically on our flips, we're looking to make, if it's, you know, under a six month project, we're looking to make 10% on the resale on our new builds where we're looking to make 20% on the resale so okay. we back that percentage off and, um, come up, you know, minus the construction cost and come up with our offer price. So, you know, really it's for us, it's all mathematical and we're, we're very, very conservative when we're looking at, um, properties and we work, you know, really it's probably right now there's, we have six core neighborhoods that we're looking for actively looking for homes in. Um, we know those neighborhoods like the back of our hand. I mean, if, if I get an address, you know, and a square footage, I know really pretty closely what that, what that house is going to be worth and what it should be selling for. 
and then the, the stuff that we we get, the incoming leads that we get that aren't in our core neighborhoods that we like to work in, we wholesale them out to other investors. Mm-hmm. So we've gotten really picky and choosy. We're like we've got a pretty tight radius that we like to work in. I don't really like to travel 45 minutes to go look at a project. So, you know, we'll flip that stuff to other investors, but you know, I call it, you know, if that house is going to be worth a million dollars fixed up, we take 10% off of that. We're down to 900 call it 150 on remodel, you know, so we're at 750, want to make 10% of that million. So we're another hundred thousand off, you know, our offer price on that house is going to be 650. And mm-hmm. That's kind of where we start. We start working from there. Yeah. And we'll make the decision, you know, can we go up or, you know, we try not to get into the game of inspecting a home and then ask for price decreases Yeah, in the inspection process. So, if, if we tell a customer or somebody that we're going to buy your house for a certain price, we're going to buy it for that. We're not going to try to play games and walk away with, you know, Hey, we need a $20,000 discount or we're not going to buy it. Or, Hey, the roof was bad. You know, we need a discount. I, I feel like we're professionals. We, when we walk a house, we know exactly what it's going to cost to rehab. And it's our job to see kind of those underlying issues that are going to be there and really not play games with people. So it's like, you know, just try to be true to our word and, do what we say we're going to do. So try to be easy to work with. Yeah. That's the best strategy to do. I mean, as far as when you are rehabbing and product and all that, that you're using inside the house, are you going the less expensive route? Are you, you know, what are you looking at on that as far as quality? I mean, are you still doing quality? I mean, you being a GC, you know, I think there's a fine line. I mean, there's, um, we try to put the, the best quality products that we can in for, you know, for the money. And then what we also, we always look at what comparable sales are doing. So gotcha. um, we base our product on comparable sales and, and go to that level or higher. Um, I will say, you know, like say for cabinets, flooring, tile, you know, your standard finishes in a house, we don't do anything custom. Um, I need to be able to buy it off the shelf, you mm. know, so, like say our, some people think I'm crazy with our construction timeline, but you know, we're from the time that we, we start digging a foundation on a new build. Um, we're about five and a half months from start to finish. Wow. It's typically for, you know, we're building right now on average called a 4,500 square foot home. Um, wow. So I have got a pretty aggressive construction schedule. So, you know, if I, I can't custom order flooring that may or may not show up and, you know, if we measured something wrong and I got to get a few more boxes, wait three, four weeks for that. So yeah, everything we buy outside of appliances right now is 100% off the shelf. Um, and then we try to, we really streamlined it over the last two years. We basically have two finished choices. So we've got a finish A and a finish B. So, you know, they're all the same you know, paint colors, cabinet colors, granite colors, or quartz colors. You know, we've got brushed nickel hardware. We got bronze hardware. So our contractors are subs that work for us really kind of know what to expect. Everything's very, very similar, damn near the same. Um, we only make changes, you know, if some, if trends start to change a little bit or, you know, we get sick of looking at the same tile or the same bathroom and all of our pictures. So that's really the only time that's changed and that's helped us dramatically. You know, it speeds up the process and, you know, we're not chasing 
material all over town or doing returns or anything else. We just, you know, if we've got extra, we just take it to the, take it to the next job site. So. Yeah. As far as ceiling details, stuff like that, you're just keeping everything pretty simple or yeah, everything's pretty similar. No, ceilings well, and trays and mm-hmm. it's okay. nothing. Yeah. Like I said, we're not doing, you know, we, for the price point we put out, I'll put my product against anybody else doing this within the same price point. You know, there's a, you know, our, our market is a relatively high price point, but you know, there's, I can't put in, you know, some things that guys are doing in a, in a fully custom home, you know, it's just in order to, to keep the margins where they need to be to business. And, you know, honestly, it's, you know, I design things, I design homes kind of around my taste and what I like at at the time and what's, what's popular. And, I hate to say we try to put a vanilla product out there, but we're trying to, because we're not pre-selling things in most cases, you know, we might pre-sell a house, you know, after drywalls in, but we're not changing walls. We're not really giving people the opportunity to pick out finishes mm-hmm. you know, outside, maybe some paint colors or maybe some tile selections. We're basically trying to make it, you know, kind of like an assembly line and appeal to the most people that we can, you know, within that price point. So, I know we're in trouble if the if the gray and white trend discontinues. <laughs> That'll give remodelers something to do. So yeah, there you go, there you go. I mean, I mean, for put, pumping them out in five months, I mean that's pretty unbelievable for forty five hundred square feet too. Obviously, your build, how you build uh, over there is different from where I'm at too. I mean, forty five hundred square feet is taking us about eighteen months, believe it or wow. not. Uh, but you know, we're, we're on water, it's construction, pilings, all sure. block, con- a ton of concrete work, uh, very structural uh, is where we're at, which takes some time too. So, which we can do five months. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, it's, we're pretty fortunate here. It's, it's pretty easy to build in Colorado. So, yeah, stick it all wood frame, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. everything's wood frame out here. Um, Basements or no? Yeah, basement. So yeah, concrete foundation goes in, and, and we go from there. And um, you know, we're getting to the point where you know, basically, the lot sizes we build on in the city are very, very almost all the same. There's really about three different lot sizes, so we're starting to build the same homes over and over. So it, you know, that speeds it up too. Where you know, my framers know, hey, we built this house last year in this yeah, neighborhood. It speeds it up. We're not in subdivisions where we have to worry about things looking you know exactly the same so they're they're spread out enough where people don't necessarily know we're building the same model you know here and there so on your sales and let's talk about that a little bit how are you dealing with customers before and after the sale (laughs) that is what has kept me out of the custom home business um you know most everything that we miss out on some opportunity most everything goes on to the mls um my wife is our real estate agent so okay we, we take it through completion. She lists it, you know, she deals with another real estate agent on the end. Um, a lot of times we're not necessarily dealing with the homeowners or the buyers until inspection time. You know, I will go out and meet with them and, you know, basically do a home walk with them. Once they've submitted their inspection objection, we've come to a resolution. Okay. I'll walk everything, you know, introduce myself and answer any questions that they may have. Um, you know, we provide a, a limited one-year builder warranty. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. Here in Colorado, but it's something that 
you know, even if we didn't, the state's going to hold you liable for it, you know, for any sort of construction defect type stuff, but fit and finish really in, you know, we're a small business, our name and our reputation means a lot. So I try to give homeowners, you know, the availability, hey, here's my contact info, call me directly. You got a question on anything, you got an issue, call me, we'll get out there and take care of it. And kind mm-hmm. of, even on our flips, we operate with, if we touched it and my guys messed up or didn't, did something that's not quite right, or, you know, doors out of square and we need to adjust it, we'll go back and take care of it for them. Yeah. And that's been, you know, it's, it's a cost of doing business, but more than anything, it's doing the right thing. You know, these people are spending a ton of money on these homes and yeah, I, I look at it as how would I want to be treated and what would I expect? So we try to do the same thing. And then, um, on the houses that, you know, we do pre-sell some stuff. We put job signs in the yard, basically once construction starts, big four by four signs, how to get a hold of us coming soon for sale. Um, we have a new build fin- that we're finishing up right now that went under contract about six weeks before it was finished. Um, results of the job sign, people walking by. So um, I think we sold like four or five last year that way. Um, so you give the ability to come in, put it under contract. We do ask for a relatively significant non-refundable earnest money. And then anything, we won't change walls or alter the floor plans, but if they want to change the paint color or maybe select their own tile or something like that, we just have them pay for it up front and basically run it through escrow and it's a, it becomes non-refundable earnest money. Nice. They don't close. So, um, we could do a better job of that. We could do a better job of pre-marketing our houses and, you know, through social media and our websites and different things. But a lot of, you know, it's, it's that pain of, I guess, pain or, you know, what you, what you have to go through dealing with that end buyer, that customer. And we're honestly just not set up to do that or something that we've, we wanted to do at this point. So sometimes people can be difficult to work with and their expectations. So you know, we try to keep them out of the house before it's done. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, being on the custom building side, I know this so exactly what you just were, were talking about. I mean, you have difficult customers and it is a lot of work. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. lot of babysitting. It's a lot of handholding. It's a lot that goes into it to make the job done the right or get the job done the right way. You know, one thing, and that's why I, everybody's got this in common on my show is that they do care about the customer. They do care about the overall experience. And that's why you're as successful as you are, because mm-hmm. even though you are doing investment homes and properties, you still do care. You still honor your warranty. You still right. say, here's my cell phone number. Call mm-hmm. me if there is an issue. You don't have to do that. There's a right. lot of builders that don't do that. There's a lot of people that are in your business that would never do that. Give them my cell phone number. What are you crazy? You know, but that's where you stand out too. You know, yeah, it's something I mean, we get it, we don't really get repeat business on home buyers, but we get repeat business from realtors. So you know, mm-hmm. realtor knows we've taken care of their clients. You know, they're they're looking out for our next properties and our next projects for you know other customers of theirs. So it's so far it's been working. So. Yeah, yeah, and it'll. I guarantee it'll continue to work, especially as you grow, and then obviously if you get into the custom home world too, uh, <laughs> that'll be fun. We'll see what happens there. Experimenting, I'm building my own home, um, kind of up in the foothills of Denver right now, and 
it's the first time that I'm building up in the mountains and the construction process is a little bit different. And yeah. that's this real opportunity for doing some custom work and kind of I'm going through it on my dime right now and experimenting with my processes and what it's like to put a well in a septic tank and mm. different things that are required on acreage in the up in the foothills. So um, we'll see what happens. We'll see if, <laughs> if I want to bite that bullet at some time. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, but no better test run than yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so out of all the properties and things that you do spec homes, all that, what do you prefer the most, uh, as far as your investment? I like the new construction the best. Yeah. You know, it's again, it's, it's what, it's what I enjoy. I'll always, you know, I think no matter what, even, you know, at some point, if I do decide to retire, I'll still probably do some homes here and there, you know, just, for no other reason than I yeah. like doing it. Some of, some of our mentors and different people tell me I'm, we're crazy doing it because the basically from the time that we purchase that property to the time that we resell, it's 15 to 18 months between you know getting the plans drawn or in the permitting process in Denver, and then once you, you start construction and you know finding the end buyer, it's a rather long hold time. But mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, we like it. You know, we do make good money on the projects, but really we we enjoy it more than anything so that's that's probably my favorite second thing would be taken you know i think a couple of years we we usually typically do two or three a year homes that were built you know prior to 1900 so like 1880s these big old brick homes the big old you know historic four squares that are just really cool to to be able to save that that original character while you know making it a modern house that people can live in so yeah no, yeah, new construction's always obviously always going to be fun too because you can create what you want. Yeah. Uh, you got a lot more, you know, you can, you can, it's yours. You, you get the plans done, you know what's going to sell, you know what's mm -hmm. going to sell the best and have the best resale value to you and probably make a little bit more money on it too because you're not as restricted. So it makes, makes a lot of sense. You did say you do you have partnerships with investors, uh, programs that you offer. How are you funding your investments? Is it just... So we, yeah, started, I think we started, this is the, at least the second year of doing it, but we haven't bought a property or any sort of project with our own money in really about two years. So we, we fund 100% of our projects between private money and or with hard money. So um other, you know, programs for other investors out there is, you know, you want to make a double digit return on your money. Um, we have a place for it. So whether it's in Denver, the Kansas city market, um, bigger projects, you know, I, I think our minimum right now that we ask out of an investor is 50,000 all the way up to, you know, all said and done our, our largest projects were usually about a million dollars into, okay. um, we'll do a combination of, you know, first position liens and second position liens. So, you know, big new construction project, we may use our hard money lender in first position and then offer a private individual, you know, with funds, you know, call it 50, 100, 150,000, um, second lien position and personal guarantees. So we're, we're able to, well, this year, the, the stock market did pretty well, but I'm not too confident it's going to stay there, but no. we're able to offer, you know, people double digit returns on their money. Um, that's backed by real estate. They have an asset that if something happens to me or my business partner, they're able to, you know, get their money back or, 
or take over the project that has always that's always worth more than what we bought it for. So I don't know of any other investment out there like that that actually gives you something tangible, you know, for for your money, for your investment there. So yeah, we work with, I don't know, right now we probably have close to 15 different private individuals that we use. Um, you know, anything from their 401k money, you know, self-directed IRA money, money that's been sitting around in a checking account that they just, you know, aren't mindful of. Um, started working with some people, you know, directing money out of their whole life insurance policies. So um, just kind of a, a neat opportunity to get people, you know, a great return on their money. It's also a way for, you know, people that are interested in real estate investing, but don't want the the day-to-day hands-on part of the investing gives them the opportunity to jump in and make some money in the real estate market. You know, we've worked with people where new investors that maybe have had some money, but they don't have the experience, allow them to lend or, you know, they'll lend on our projects and then we'll allow them to shadow us or, you know, meet us over at the job site once a week and ask questions and kind of show them what's going on and walk them through, you know, how we value a project or our scope of work construction budget really open up our books to them and kind of help them see if it's something that they want to get into on their own or you know are they just happy you know investing their money and making a 12 percent return on it here so yeah which is a awesome return too i mean that's and, and like you said the stock market especially nowadays um it was going good there for a little while but i i personally didn't don't trust it right now either i don't know how it's where it's at but uh, after, after everything that's going on, but yeah, that's, that's definitely good to know. Um, as far as what you're doing, you said 12% return on average is what people are usually getting. Yeah. Um, we've kind of got basically a preferential t- a tier of, you know, and then depending on the, depending on the amount of money, depending on if that person wants monthly interest payments or if they'll take a balloon payment, if they'll mm-hmm. take a balloon payment at the end of the project, once we sell it, we'll pay a higher interest rate. You know, if they want their monthly payments, um, some people just like to open that check every month. You know, we'll typically try to pay a little bit more. And then it's really where where that person fits in. And, you know, we've got lenders that I've been using for six, seven years now. I've never touched their interest rates, even, you know, as interest rates have come down or hard money and you know, bank loans have come down. I haven't touched their rates. It's just it's easy. We make money. They make money. Everybody's happy. So, it's, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you're making money, who wouldn't be happy, right? So it's, that's yeah. what it's all about for sure. Um, one question I got to ask you too, what are some mistakes that you have made while investing or working on a project that people should all avoid? Let's hear it. <laughs> uh, I've got a few of them. I mean, I think if you're talking to a real estate investor and they tell you they've never lost money on a project, that's either, yeah. <laughs> enough, or they, they don't have the experience. Um I got caught in a luxury subdivision neighborhood um, three years ago now. As as prices were going up, I started over-improving the house. So I started chasing um, some other higher price comps. That So I changed my numbers and my budgets mid-construction and uh, ended up chasing a number that I didn't get. And I think I lost, I lost right about 250,000 on the project. Um, I actually, funny thing or lesson learned is I actually sold it exactly for what I thought it would sell for going into the project. Hmm. But 
I um, more than doubled my construction budget and I was too slow to reduce the price. So when we weren't getting the traction, I was stubborn and was holding out for that kind of that top dollar. Yeah. Other homes were selling for that. And I thought ours would too. Um, came down. I just didn't know the neighborhood as well as I needed to. Um, so it was a very expensive learning lesson, but you know, I, I tell people all the time, I don't know of another business outside of real estate where you can take that kind of hit and then be whole the, you know, the following year. So, mm-hmm. um, really it comes down to those numbers, setting that construction budget and sticking to it, you know, no matter what, not, not changing it midstream. So, you know, ever since then I've, I've paid a lot closer attention to our scope of work and, you know, and then make sure like on this one, it was a 5,000 square foot remodel, um, mm-hmm. making sure that my architects and engineers stick to exactly where I need to be. Um, and they're conscious of my budget and cost on those type of products, projects. Cause you give an architect, you know, a blank blank slate or an unlimited budget, they're just going to design what they, whatever looks cool. And they don't, they don't really care. or They don't even know what it costs, yeah. cost to build. So, you know, with what we're doing, it's, we're trying to fit into certain numbers. So that was an important learning lesson. Um, some of the other things was one of the last times I've worked with a general contractor. So before I got my license and started GCing our jobs was guys not, you know, general contractors not paying their subcontractors. And then Colorado has very favorable lien laws towards subcontractors. So even though I paid the GCs, I didn't get um, lien waivers or I didn't have those subcontractors sign those lien waivers. They were able to come back to me for the money that they didn't get paid from the general contractors. So, um, you know, <laughs> on through that, I've had general contractors write guys bad checks in front of me and give it to them. So, um, really tightening down the screws on our paperwork and who is on our projects and yeah. making sure that we know them and that we know they're getting paid. So, um, that was a big decision and, you know, me doing what was necessary to get my general contracting license so that I, I know who's on our jobs and everybody that's on our job we're hiring directly. So mm-hmm. and making sure we get that paperwork and people signing off before they get checks and all the other stuff that, that goes along with that. That's kind of seems like tedious paperwork, but at the end of the day, it protects lost, you. Yeah. if you're not doing it, it costs you tens of thousands of dollars. So. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you consistently using the same subcontractors you have in-house employees? Um, so we don't have in-house employees. I've, I've looked at going down that route and talked to different people and I can't necessarily get, figure out what's best. You know, I got some people that say to do it. Some people say I'm crazy for doing it. Um, We typically have eight to 12 projects in active construction at all times. Um, So my guys, I keep busy all the time. I mean, they're, they roll from one project to another, Mm -hmm. Uh, but just like any contract, I mean, eventually they have, I heard it, one time from a mentor, you know, it's kind of like milk. They all have an expiration date. Um, I've got a handful of guys that, you know, I moved back to Denver five and a half years ago. I think I got three or four guys that have worked for me during that whole time. And then it's always seems like a combination of, you know, a half a dozen trades. I'm looking for new guys, looking to replace them, looking to increase, you know, the quality. Um, you know, it seems like no matter what the subcontractors, they don't say no to work. So even though I keep them busy, 
mm-hmm. all the time and I pay them weekly. You know, I, we pay our bills. unlike a lot of guys. Um, they don't have to wait for money. You know, they'll always take on other work. And that's like, well, what are you doing? You know, you start not treating our projects with the level of respect that I feel they deserve when you work for me for a few years, I'll just go find somebody new. So yeah. um, I think that's the biggest challenge working with subcontractors, but um, you know, for whatever reason, it seems like there's always two or three trades that we need to improve, whether it's a painter or a drywall crew, or mm. you know, right now a plumber, or, you know, whatever it may be. And that's right now we're running without a project manager um, for the last three months. So our new guy starts here in a couple of weeks, but um, that it's key for like our project managers. We're always looking for them to recruit and continue to, you know, look for new subs and run ads and stop my job sites and kind of continuously keeping that pipeline full. Cause no matter what they will, they will fall off or, you know, I got a call yesterday that we're, I'm expecting insulation and drywall to go into a project and um, contractor hadn't been returning my phone calls for a couple of days and him and his, all of his whole crew has COVID. So Oh. they're out for he doesn't know he's basically non-committal on work right now so you know he's just scrambling when you don't have you know a rolodex of guys you can call kind of i've got a project that's probably going to sit vacant for two weeks um which you know kills our productivity yeah. just because i don't have the guys that i need in those particular trades right now so every contractor's challenge right there exactly <laughs> what you said too. i mean mm-hmm. you you run into the situations where you get a good painter finally and then all of a sudden you lose your plumber you know it's yeah. like it's it's a never-ending challenge and road and trying to figure out and it's like a chess game i mean it's yeah. just okay i mean basically as a general contractor we're professional babysitters like, yeah you're, you're babysitting grown men dude like that's unfortunately that's what you're going to be doing every day yeah yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's always going to be a challenge, but that's that's why we do it. And I mean, that's that's the fun part of it, I guess, right? And then finding the right superintendents, and you know, if you're getting busier, uh, learning how to expand. And do you want to expand? Do you want to take? You know, it's like that's where we're kind of at now too, to where we have the work we do. Do we want to hire another superintendent? You know, then we got to go through the training process with that, and it's like. You know, it's always something. It's always something. Challenge of employees. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So before I get into some, a uh, couple personal questions, one last thing too. I mean, what is your secret to making more profit on an investment? Let it all out because <laughs> everybody's got their secret sauce. It, it, it's, I don't know that it's a secret sauce, but it's just <laughs> diligent with the numbers. Like I said, yeah. you know, the, the, you know, the ratios that I went through before, it's being diligent with that and being very, very conservative on the buy side. Um, you know, I don't, I'm, I don't want to do the most projects out there, but you know, I want to make, I want to make the most profit and the most money on the ones that we do. So, um, you know, our new builds, we go, you know, the lowest and last, Two years we've made on the new construction projects, two hundred thousand in net profit. The most is four hundred and fifty thousand dollars in net profit. So it's all in the buy. It's all, you know, it's all not talking ourselves into a deal because we need a deal, but really just sticking to those numbers, knowing the neighborhoods, knowing how to analyze that property, and not paying more than it's worth. You know, and then where we've had a challenge is we'll go into a neighborhood, we'll buy it at a good price. And then we'll, because the market's been increasing, 
we're going through it right now in the neighborhood where we've got two new builds. We're setting the standard or the price on a resale. So mm-hmm. when we go through and you know we buy it at a low price and we sell it at the highest price of any comp in that market, now all of a sudden that buy price has gone up. You know, yeah, near the new comp property. So then we're constantly looking for new neighborhoods that we can go to because mm-hmm. we just. I guess, you know, secret sauce of anything is knowing when to say no. Like there's just certain deals that, you know, on paper they may look good, but we're not going to overpay for something. We're not going to speculate. We're not going to go on that, that price appreciation where, you know, I got to know that our investors money's safe, our money's safe. So, you know, we have to have that margin built in to where if the market shifts and correct, you know, worst case, we're going to break even, you know, the mm-hmm. market's not going to shift 20% you know, over the course of 12 to 18 months in Denver anyway. So if something like that did happen, I got to know that I can exit and worst case break even and my investors still get paid. So, yeah, you know, it may sound boring and, you know, <laughs> unglamorous, but it's the numbers, you know, and we look at it, a deal comes across our desk. It's immediately, is it a wholesale to another investor? Is it a rehab? Is it a rental? Or is it a scrape and build? So, or what we call a wholesale, where basically, you know, we're not doing anything to the house. We're purchasing it with cash. We're cleaning it and throwing it back on the market the following weekend. Um, so really we analyze every property that comes across our desk and that five, those five different ways and going, okay, what's the best for it. And I think, you know, where we're different or um, we have the ability to do really anything. You know, there's not a lot of guys out there that have the ability to, you know, do a new build or, you know, the comprehensive scrape, the comprehensive remodel, you know, they're looking for the quick paint, paint and carpet type yeah. or they're strictly wholesalers. They don't have the money to take down the property and do the renovation. So they're really limited. So, you know, I tell people learn how to do as many things as you possibly can, you know, and our strategy has been add something every year. So, you know, this year we're bought interest in a brokerage, you know, we're going to, launch or grow the real estate portion of it. So the leads that come across our desk that aren't a fit for what we do that, you know, need a retail, you know, they're great houses that don't need any work. They're ready to go on the market. We can capitalize on that. lead. So it's really just being able to diversify your business. Um, so you're not just a one trick pony. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's like you it's sum it all up. I mean, it's you knowing your market, you doing your research and, and the numbers of it and you actually taking the time to do the comps too on a property and, and comping everything out, obviously your experience too, and construction and knowing the numbers there helps dramatically. Um, but just the comps in general, like if you're going to buy somewhere, like you just said, uh, you, you, you set the standard in a certain neighborhood Obviously, you're not going to go back to that neighborhood because the standards already set high yeah. since you. Yeah, I would love to because there's not enough. There's no longer enough profit, and there's yeah. like, we're very conservative on Smart. stuff. There's a lot of guys out there willing to you know flip properties to make ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars. That's just not us. Yeah, too much can go wrong. That you know, it's not worth the headache for that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, getting in, getting to the end here, I uh, wanted a few couple personal questions. I always ask this one's this one's a big one. I love asking everybody this question. Everybody that listens to my show loves this question. What about you personally? What lessons have you learned throughout your journey that we should all apply to our own business and our own lives that can help us grow? Uh, honestly, you know, looking back, I got into this business relatively late. 
you know, I was the way I was raised, I was raised by a single mom that, you know, family and you go to school, you get, for me, I was the first one to get a college education in my family and you go get a job and you work for that company for, you know, through retirement, you know, you save money, put it away. And I wasn't really exposed to the entrepreneurial mindset or, you know, small business or, you know, being a, a company owner, entrepreneur at a young age, you know, really it was through my, my work for a very, very large corporation that they trained me enough, but they let me go do my own thing. Um, as long as the, our branches made money, they left me alone. Um, so that really taught me what it was like to run a business, but I didn't really get, you know, we started, I started flipping homes seven years ago. So when I was 38 years old, kind of got into it later than a lot of people do. And then I really didn't get into becoming, I would say as disciplined or down the, uh, I'm a big like self-improvement junkie, like, you know, constantly reading, constantly trying to educate myself and as it, as it's come down to really over the last couple of years, it's, it's realizing that there's everything is kind of intertwined together. There's no, for me, there's no work life. There's no personal life. There's no, I don't like, I don't like the word work-life balance. I don't think it exists. I think it's your life is all those areas are intertwined and it's what you make of it. Mm -hmm. um, and going back to, you know, my, it's a big thing, but like my physical fitness over the last couple of years has been a big part of all related directly to the success I've had in business. Like mm -hmm. I didn't realize it, you know, it's crazy being a former college and professional athlete, you know, once that got done, I let myself go and mentally it was like things started slowing down and didn't realize that the body and mind are so connected and intertwined that in order to be successful in business, you have to take care of your body. You have to, you have to generate energy. You have to be in shape. You have to eat well, you know, you have to get sleep so that you yeah. can function, you know, especially in our line of work, it's a pretty stressful environment. And, you know, if you're not doing those things, you can't perform at work. When you can't perform at work, you got stress and you go home to a wife and kids and you're, you know, you're mean and upset. You know, when you get home, you're short, you don't want to talk to anybody. You know, my kid a few years ago, you had yeah. to go home and, you know, have a couple of glasses of whiskey and go down to the basement and hang out. And it was, you know, I thought that I had to improve one area, you know, kind of my body or my business or relationships or my spirituality, that one thing was the key and really they're not, they're all intertwined. So that's really the journey I've been on over the last, it's four years ago this month of knowing okay, I can't be successful in one of those four areas without being successful in all of them. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, if I could have learned that at a younger age, you know, I, I, that would have been great, but, you know, can't look back. So it is what it is now. Yeah. I just, I try to keep that in my mind every day and I've got a little morning routine that I go through. And when I'm firing on all cylinders, I've got, you know, a three hour routine that I go through before I leave the house. So, um, the days that I don't do that, it's noticeably different in my attitude, my demeanor, the mentality that I show up with at the office. And, you know, so for me, it's, it's taking care of my time and making sure I'm taking care of myself so that I can produce for, you know, my wife, my kids, my business partners, you know, contractors, employees, all that stuff. So it's really, 
realizing that all that stuff is interconnected and my life's my life. There's no balance there. It's, yeah. It all goes together. Yeah. I, and what you just said is a hundred percent correct. And it's huge. Um, you know, and it, it, it reflects on me personally too. Uh, just hearing you say that obviously, you know, puts reality back into my head too. I mean, I'm doing 75 hard challenge right now. I just, I started it a week ago, but it was something, it was something I needed, you yeah. know, because we all get out of our groove. I remember, and you're so right on everything being connected. There's not just all these different parts, like everything ties into one thing. And I started realizing that like when your health health starts going South, you know, it's just like everything else kind of ties into that. And, oh. and, and, you know, you just have to have all those right pieces of the puzzle. And I'm finally and like, like you, I mean, I'm 34. I wish I would have realized this at 22, you know, and it's like, it, I, I'm realizing it now that I have a good relationship and, and I was, I found that good relationship. And now, you know, then my health might've started sliding a little bit. So now like I'm starting to do 75 hard to get that health back and business has been good relationships, good, but the health you know, I'm not where I was, let's say seven, eight months ago, you know, I let it slip I, with right. drinking stuff like that on weekends. And when right. you say you're going to have a cheat meal, it turns into a cheat day, yeah. you know what I mean? And then that cheat day turned and in, turns into a cheat weekend. Yep. Uh, and it just all adds up. And it's huge what you just said, because it really made everything click that I'm doing personally right now, too, because uh, I can't agree with you more. And it's something I needed. What you just said helped me. So thank you for that. That was, that was awesome, man. That was thank awesome. You. Yeah. Good luck with that 75 hour. I, I tried to do it twice and failed. Did you? And um, October 1st last year, did it, finished on December 15th. And what was big for me is my wife did it with me and two of my sons did it with me. So yeah. it was having that, um, you know, to when I, when I would think about, you know, like I was in, in Vegas in November and I was in Texas last month and, you know, being out amongst groups or different things, like yeah. if it was with me, it would have been easier to go, eh, you know, I'm doing good on most stuff. I can have a couple of drinks at the blackjack table or whatever. Yeah, yeah. knowing that, you know, my 13 and 14 year old at home are doing it too. And my wife is doing it. And that's what allowed me to, to make it through. And actually it was relatively easy the third time around. But yeah, so now it's, it's trying to keep up with it when you don't have to, or you don't have that commitment to yourself. So, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's been challenging, man. And my biggest thing, like I put it off, I've been wanting to do it. I've been talking about it and, and I put it off for a long time because it was, it would always go back to, you know, this event's happening. I got, you know, I, I'm a social drinker, you know, I'm not an alcoholic by any means, but if, you know, this weekend is this, or this weekend is this, when I started first thing, one of my buddies that I go to the gym with says, he goes, Oh, you're doing that now. What about Super Bowl? It's like, <laughs> you know, it's and like, if I, there's always going to be over two and a half months, there's always going to be a one. Yeah. And I, it's like one thing after that, my girlfriend's doing it with me. Uh, she's not doing the full extent, but she's doing, you know, and even though there's no such thing as a partial 75 hard, according to Andy, and I'm reading this book right now. Uh, mm -hmm. but it's, uh, it's, it's something I needed. I started thinking about it. I mean, on so many different levels and it is challenging. I mean, I, this weekend I was with my brother-in-law and my sister and he's like, you want to get wings, Bill? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no. And he goes, why not? 
you know? And I'm like, because I can't. He goes, wings aren't bad for you. I'm like, what? You know, maybe you need this more than I do. But uh, it's just, it's 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 worth it. And everything you said on that, man, it, it helped me right now too. Because it is something I, I highly agree with you. I'm sure this audience will too. It, everything ties together. And it's yeah, like, for sure. 100%. so um, another question real quick to wrap things up too. Uh, I always ask about your past. Let's talk about your future. So where will we see Adam in the future? Five, 10, 15 years from now, where will you be? Uh, I don't know. Our, our goal business wise is pretty simple. We're going to double every year until we don't want to. So um, it's, we've gone down this journey in the last couple of years of, you know, trying to scale this business and can continue to grow it. So the last three years since my uh, business partner, Mark and I got together and kind of combined our two businesses, we've been doubling. Um, what exactly that looks like, you know, we kind of got a loose plan of, you know, opening up different markets. Like last year we opened up Kansas City. We were buying rentals 100%. We're gonna start flipping out there and then also start, we're starting to get into learning about owner finance deals, so selling stuff on owner finance. Um, probably add a third market, three years. Um, also want to get into multifamily renovation. So I, I, I have a large interest in um, apartment buildings. So we're looking at some smaller stuff in Kansas City right now, but continue to work that up where we can buy apartment buildings in distress, repair them, stabilize rents, and resell them in three to five years. Um, so, you know, professionally, that will kind of take care of itself. And you know, I would like to be you know, over the next five years, be out of the day-to-day -day business um, of running Colorado House Buyers as it's set up now, but, you know, continue to work on bigger and better things. So right now, the big the big goal is to, you know, replace myself in my day-to-day -day activities so I can go out and evaluate more deals, you know, look for more money, talk to more investors, learn more skills. Um, I would like to get into the development side of things a little bit and you know, start out with a small subdivision and see where it goes from there. But I get bored easily if you can't tell. So it's like, I always have to add something that's challenging, you know, and on the, on the personal side, you know, it's the biggest thing to me is being a, you know, a role model and example for my three sons that are 10, 13 and 14 and enjoy the time with them. And hopefully I'm fortunate enough to, you know, be sitting, continue to sit in college, basketball gyms, college, and maybe otherwise at, at some point and, have the freedom to chase them around wherever they tend to be and hang out with my wife and dogs and enjoy the outdoors. So it's really, really about all I do. So it's, you know, I don't see that changing too much. And yeah. Spend time in the mountains and spend time on the beach. So can't beat it where you're at with the mountains yeah. and everything too. Plus hopefully your kids are future Denver nuggets one day. Right. So Something. I don't even care. <laughs> so I don't know. I won't know what to do. That's been the hardest thing of, you know, with COVID shutting things down, like we've, life's been the same other than we've slowed down, but we're not, I'm not sitting in a basketball gym six days a week, taking them to practice and watching games. Like yeah. We've had more, there's more time at home, but work stayed the same. We've kind of, we've hunkered down and buried ourselves in our business and improved a lot of things. And so we'll just keep it going until we get sick of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So final question, wrapping things up. This is what this show is all about. What exactly do people need to look for when investing in real estate? And why should they choose Adam McKenna, part owner of Colorado House Buyers, as 
their go-to guy. <laughs> I was the biggest thing is educate yourself. Um, the I think people are unwilling. You know, I, I think it's changed over the last few years, but people are unwilling to invest time and money in their education. You know, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, we think after we get out of high school or college, like that we're done learning, and it can't. It has to continue. Yeah. You know, I've last five years. You know, I've, I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on my personal education. You know, to get me where I am today, and I'm going to continue to so that it'll take me where I want to go in the future. And people think that this business they can just jump into, go buy a house, put some work into it, and sell it. And if you do that, maybe you'll make some more some money, but more than likely you're going to lose it and probably have a, a negative experience and jump out of this and say it's not for me. But you know, if you're willing to invest in that education, find a mentor, find somebody that's doing it. You know in the market that you want to be in or, you know, have you know similar set of values and goals, you know, reach out to that person, you know, and, and learn from somebody, you know, don't try to do it on yourself. There's, there's too much, too many things out there, too many people that are willing to help you and then find somebody that's reputable that actually knows what they're doing. Um, at some point in my life, I will get into kind of the education space. I think what's held me back more than anything on it is, there's a lot of people trying to teach in this space and educate that have no clue what they're doing, you know, that they don't actively invest anymore. They don't flip houses. They don't build houses. They've become teachers yeah. teaching on theory rather than principle and experience. So yeah. at some point I know that's in my future um, just because it means so much to me and I, I will continue to do this. And I think I have some things to teach off of my experience um, that we actively do it. We actually have a, you know, a large scale business that's doing it repeatedly. So um, I'd say, yeah, people got questions on, on construction, how to value deals, um, reach, reach out to me, hit me up on social media. I need to pay more attention to that, but, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Adam C. McKenna, um, look up Colorado house buyers. You can find me. I'm available. So. All right. So yeah, you already beat me to the punch. I was going to ask you where to find you. <laughs> that's it for now and i gotta i gotta, I gotta tie in and do more of that you know more youtube that. anything like that are you yeah yeah you gotta not yet you know it's it, it the the biggest struggle is I'm, I'm so actively involved in the day-to-day business of our company mm-hmm. um, and i'm not willing to sacrifice my time at home my time with my family outside of my Can't day blame office that right now not a priority so you know, I don't get out there as, as much as I should, but, you know, people yeah. reach out. I'll answer any questions. I'll jump on a phone call. Anyway, I can help people. So so where, where were you again? So they can just double. So Adam C, my middle initial mechanic. MCC, okay. And that's all platforms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, Adam. I mean, this has been great, man. I really appreciate your time too. I know you're a busy guy. You had a lot of oh, houses going and renos and everything going right now too uh that's been awesome so uh thank you a lot of great information from you too today thanks for having me yeah yeah and so for everybody listening thank you as always uh please like subscribe five stars only obviously are appreciated uh and write a review too on itunes uh thank you all for listening i will see you on the next episode Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Real Build. 
And guys, if you would just take a little bit of your time to write a review below, I'd really appreciate it. It doesn't take long. Obviously, reviews are going to make this show be heard by more people. And that's what we need. We need to get this out there. So please write a review, share it with your friends and family. And thank you so much for everybody that's listening. And I'll see you guys on the next episode.